It is International Podcast Day 2020. And to celebrate this occasion, I'm having my dad, Rick Savoya, of the Drink with Rick podcast and the Saturday Night Wine Stream, as my very special guest today to talk about his history with sci fi in movies and television. Enjoy the show. Welcome, welcome to the Cube Command Podcast. My name is Thomas Savoy, and this is the show where you can chill with us as we talk about the news, reviews, and other things in the gaming, pop culture, and movie industry. The Cube Command Podcast is produced by Savoy Studios and is part of the Savoy Media Network. To find all of our shows produced by Savoy Studios, just go to SavoyaMedia.com. All right, International Podcast Day is upon us for 2020. And uh, we figured, why not do a special episode, a special crossover episode, with the world-famous Twitch streamer, Drink With Rick, of the Drink With Rick podcast, also known as my dad. Hi, Dad. How how you doing, Dad? Just fine, Tommy. World-famous, huh? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he's he's been picking up steam. No one one told me yet. Well, you know, it's always it's always a good thing when you discover you're world famous. Yeah, I'm always the last to know. <laughs> well, you heard it here first on the Cube Command podcast because uh, Dad's been streaming on uh, Facebook, Twitch, and YouTube for uh, was it like almost two years now? Almost two years. Yeah. Almost two years. And uh, he goes on. He reviews a bottle of wine and talks about the day's events or anything interesting that happens uh, that's uh, you know happening in his life at that point in time. And uh, he he rakes in a lot of viewers, I gotta say, and and uh, rolling in cash and and <laughs> <laughs> what cash? <laughs> you must be seeing cash I haven't seen. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we decided uh, to do a little crossover episode because uh, Dad is a uh, connoisseur of uh, decades and decades of sci-fi stuff. Uh, sci-fi is kind of in my blood a little bit. I mean, I grew up on it uh, when I, since I was a kid. I guess I should mention my age. I'm, I'm 61 going on 62, so... Yeah, I didn't know if you wanted me to just, like, belt that out or not. <laughs> yeah, well, I, there, I have no shame. <laughs> but I've been, ever since I was a little kid, I was fascinated with science fiction, or what's popularly known as sci-fi, and, um... It's always been an interest of mine, always been a hobby, a passion. And I've watched a lot of sci-fi. I've read a lot of sci-fi, read a lot of science fiction. Uh, when I was younger, um, I used to read a, a lot of science fiction-related novels. Uh, you know, everything from, well, Jules Verne to Robert Heinlein and um, Arthur C. Clarke. And uh, Frank Herbert of Dune, and and a lot of, I mean, just a lot of different authors. I've read a lot of different science fiction books and some fantasy, but but mostly sci-fi. And, um, you know, I I watched a lot of movies, TV shows. When I was a kid, I was um, a real TV addict for anything that came in sci-fi-wise. And um, you mentioned Lost in Space. Uh, For many, many years, I was a big fan of Lost in Space. I used to yeah, love that uh, show. You did you did uh, editing uh, as your when your careers did you did you do a lot of editing for Lost in Space for TV? Um, no, because we never ran Lost in Space on the station that I worked for when I was uh, hired to be a film editor there. Uh, I was editing originally on motion picture film, 
that's how it was um that that's how it was shown um we had film chains in the tv station and we'd run everything off uh motion picture film off 16 millimeter film and then uh it went to television went broadcast from there and uh i edited a lot of stuff on uh on film and then later on video and when everything moved to video but um i i had edited a lot of sci-fi but Lost in Space was not one of those shows, regrettably. I, I always wanted to see them pick it up uh, on our station so I could actually edit it. But um, never they never did. That was the one show they never did pick up. But a lot of other shows. I mean, th there were a lot of... When I was a kid, when I was really small, when I was, oh, six, seven, eight years old, uh, they were running... And, and during the first run of Lost in Space... Uh, I would watch that on TV, and we had a black and white TV at the time, which is okay because the the early, the first, uh, I want to say the first season was all black and white, and or maybe the first two. I think it was the first season, I think. And I would watch shows like uh, all the Irwin Allen shows that were out at the time. That uh, Irwin Allen was uh, a big producer of. Uh, science fiction for television. He produced Lost in Space, Land of the Giants. There was Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, which was another favorite of mine. I used to, to really love watching Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. That one was a big production one, right? That had a whole... Um, you you huge... visited the set, right? No, no, no. That was a different show. Oh, that was uh, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea was uh, an Irwin uh, Allen show that uh, ran in the 60s. Uh, around the the same time, the same general time that, uh, or it was in the same era as Lost in Space, Time Tunnel, which was another another one. Uh, time Tunnel was when they went to a, uh, uh, they, they had a huge tunnel that tunnel uh, of time. Well, it was it was an experiment basically, and they were testing to see if they could go into you know back into time or forward into time to do time travel and so the it tunnel was, it was a, it was a tunnel and uh in in a big it's like research. stargate yeah kind of like that kind of like stargate uh, it was an early uh predecessor to stargate i guess and uh what was cool about the the tunnels that you know they, they'd run into the tunnel and and they uh they would um program into the computers a, a, a certain date and they run into the time tunnel to go back into that time period or forward into that time period but um what happened was the whole premise they never they didn't really get a chance to just go back and forth and do stuff around time because um the uh this the people the main characters uh of the show wound up sort of inadvertently going in there and um getting stuck in the time tunnel, kind of in various time periods, and they would spend a lot, pretty much the whole series, trying to get them from one time period to another, and then back, back home. <laughs> so right. that was basically the series. Now, each one of those series ran for a, for a, a period of time, two or three seasons, and then it would get canceled. And of course, was that on the on the Sci Fi Network, or was that before? No, this was on. Network? This was on. Um, this was on just regular broadcast television, oh, okay. network TV. It was on network TV at the time. And what would happen was they, they'd cancel the show in the middle, you know, it could be in the middle of a story arc or it could be in the middle of a, uh, just at the end of the season. 
And they weren't doing a whole lot of cliffhangers at the end of the seasons at that time. They would do episode cliffhangers, uh, particularly something like Colossus in Space. They, they had it sort of in a serial format, and so they would do uh, some cliffhangers. You know, they they do a setup for the next episode. Yeah. That, but it, what, there was really no season cliffhangers. So when they just ended the show, they ended the show. And, and in the case of Lost in Space, they were, the Robinson family was just still stuck in space. They never got him home. Yeah. <laughs> the same thing with with uh, uh, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea was just an ongoing sea, uh, you know, sea adventure. So it, it really wasn't that critical. And, and I think it ran, like, ran a few years. Land of the Giants uh, was another one where they they uh, uh, went into a sort of a uh, kind of like a King Kong world. No, well, what it was is they 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 landed on a planet that was pretty much like Earth. It was sort of like an alternate uh, reality, but it, it was on another planet like Earth, except everybody was giants. They, so, they were all, so everything was, like was that, giant, and they were little little tiny people. It was like that movie and, they were showing on Svengoolie that one time where they used the uh, layering to like make the the cat giant or something, and there's like yeah. had a team of little people and they had to escape. Right. There were well, I think you're thinking of uh, what Cyclops. Uh, 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 it was one of those uh, Doctor Cyclops. I think is what it was. It, it was, I think it was, it was Cyclops because uh, there was a monster that was yeah, chasing them. Yeah. And um, what was it? I can't remember the name of the movie now, but I know the one you're talking about right offhand. Um, I can't uh, recall it at the moment, but I've I've seen that movie. Uh, a long time ago, but the, the the TV shows back then they didn't really end on season cliffhangers for the most part. So when they ended them, they just ended them in wherever they were at the time. That was sort of the end of the show, and they they never really did anything to resolve it for the audience. It, it wasn't really about the audience at the time. It was just some you know they're trying to make content for the for broadcasting. They, yeah, as they do today, trying just to fill time slots, trying to. F- fill in the space between commercials like they do today nowadays it's more so like um they're trying to get the audiences vested as much as possible so they can get the support to renew the show right well once again in in those old shows back in in the 60s i think they were really more uh invested in the the day-to-day or the or the uh ratings for the month or the ratings for the for the for the next rating sweeps very short term you're right it, it was somewhat short term so they could Back in those days, there were uh, shows that they could just sort of, well, if the ratings were too low and they really, they're just that bad, they just cut it. They just cut the show. Nowadays, they, they t- kind of tend to let the season end before they they uh, cancel the show. Now, it doesn't still doesn't always happen. There's some shows that are so bad that they'll just do their initial run and then you know, of how many episodes they have produced so far and then just end it. But for the most part, they do seem to try to at least get to the end of the season before they cut a show. Star Trek ran for three and a half years. The original Star Trek um, ran for three and a half seasons, and it was the middle of the third season, and they said, well, this isn't working, and they cut it. Um, little did they know. 79 episodes, that was it. Uh, yeah, little did they know. Well, what happened was Star Trek, uh, Star Trek really came to life when it went into syndication. There were just enough episodes to put it into syndication. And I was one of those kids that helped make it happen because I was one of those millions of people that would, I'd come home from school uh, in, you know, in the afternoon and uh, turn on the TV and watch the reruns of Star Trek on on, uh, weekday afternoons. And uh, and they they were running um, 
you know, Lost in Space and other shows like that too. But but Star Trek came on, and then all of a sudden, you know, it, it just clicked. It probably is because of that time slot. Because I'm guessing you weren't the only one in that situation where. Oh yeah, there were people there were, were millions of us sitting at home watching this. And do you remember what the original time <laughs> slot was? Because maybe it wasn't in a favorable spot. Uh, I'm trying to. No, they moved it around. They moved they, they moved the time slot for Star Trek around and. When they start messing around with time slots for shows, yeah. it's it's almost the, it, it's like a death knell for them at the outside. At it's the hard outside. to build a viewer base. So you know, yeah, it is. It around. is. It's yeah. hard to to build a viewership um, with that when you're moving it around so much because people can't find the show. Right. And um, in the early days of Star Trek, they kind of did that, you know, in the first run of the show. They kind of move it around. And now there were a lot of other shows since then. But I think with with Star Trek, um, it, it really got more people interested into space um, space sci-fi at that time, that in that generation, our generation. So when Star Wars came along in 1977, and I was there, uh, when Star Wars came along, people, you know, a lot of the, the young generation at that time, they, they were primed for it. They were pretty much primed for it. Here comes Star Wars, which was so innovative in all of its effects, and, uh, and you know it was it was just it was a game changer. It was a game changer for film in general, and it got a lot of people interested in filmmaking. A lot of kids like like me, and that's what I that I did. I got into filmmaking. Well, I got into filmmaking long before that. I was I was uh, making films uh, when I was a kid because I, I liked the sci-fi genre and and I liked. Uh, other things related to, to film. Um, but when uh, Star Wars came along, it really jump-started a lot of people's interest in filmmaking in general because, uh, you know, they saw the innovative effects and... and uh, Also, the story of how, how George Lucas got the, this, the franchise on its feet. Yeah, yeah. Now, you know, it, being, it being a gamble and all, you right. know, it kind of showed people that, hey, maybe... You know, maybe it's not impossible. You know, to to break to do, into to do it, it. Yeah. To, to break into it. Um, but but uh, it was people like Lucas and Spielberg, people like that, that really got, um, really inspired a lot of of people to get into filmmaking. But um, when Star Wars came out, I was one of those people that was standing in those super long lines. Uh, you know, when when it first came out and. I would stand in the long lines, and there were people that would just camp out there for hours and hours and a day or two, <laughs> you know, waiting to get in line to see the movie. And um, I saw the film, and then I came back and I bought the bought the book, the the, the novel version of it, and read that. Oh, and then yeah. I gave it to my parents. I gave it to my dad to read, and I said, "You got to go see this movie. It's pretty awesome." So I was really trying to get my family to go see it, and uh, finally they they said, "Okay, well we'll we'll go check it out." So they went to see it, and they were they really really enjoyed it. And then uh, I went to see it another five five times or so in that that summer, <laughs> five or six times. I kind of lost back count. I think I snuck in that. a couple of times. Back when it was affordable to to go to the theater like five times during the summer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I think like I said, I think I snuck in once or twice too into a, to a theater to watch it <laughs> with my friends. But but it wasn't the first one. I mean. The first one you snuck into? Um, no, no. Well, no, it was the first one I <laughs> snuck into either. But um, when going back a little bit uh, from Star Wars, uh, 
there were other films that were really, really innovative effects-wise that really impressed me. And uh, one of them was 2001, A Space Odyssey. It was Stanley Kubrick. And Kubrick was a real visionary of his, in his own right. But uh, Kubrick made this film, and I remember the first time I'd ever heard about it was uh, we were on vacation and we stopped at a Howard Johnson's. That was back when Howard Johnson's restaurant. And see, this is really dating me. Back when the Howard Johnson's franchise was around, and we'd stopped to stay at a Howard Johnson's, and we were eating at the restaurant. And at the time, they would give out these like uh, books and, and you know comic books and little little pamphlets and stuff like that to entertain the kids with. Yeah. While they were waiting for their dinner, and I got one of these. It was full color, and I opened it up, and they're talking about the coming release of 2001 a space odyssey complete with widescreen you know framed pictures and and it just kind of blew me away i'm looking at some of these photos and i'm thinking oh man that's the kind of movie i'd like to make you know uh, and and it was i think it was some years later before i actually got to see it but i did as soon as i heard about this movie and i saw it and, um i went to my library at uh, at school and checked out the book the novel, 2001 Space Odyssey by, uh, you know, and uh, I read the novel and I thought, wow, this is fascinating. I'd love to see this as a movie. And, um, and then years later, I, I got to see it for the first time because my parents wouldn't take me to go see it. But so it was that later. Like, did the novel come out close to it was the clo movie? Yeah, it was release? close. It was close to it. It, it was, okay. it was, uh, I know uh, there's like a huge number of novels based on, yeah, if, if I remember, if I remember correctly, I think the one that I was reading had photos from the movie in it. I think, oh, yeah. I think it did. Um, I mean, nowadays I, it's kind of hard not to find one that doesn't have pictures of the movie yeah, on it for I, marketing I really, purposes. I don't really remember exactly, but I think that's uh, what the case was. But, um, when I went to see the movie uh, years later, and I was, I was still blown away by it, I thought, "Wow, this is just this is awesome! It was worth the wait to go see this." And um, some people would find it kind of a sleeper film because it, it kind of moves slow and it's kind of difficult to to um, follow some of what's going on. And, and it is only if um, only if uh, you haven't read the book. If you don't really, if you're not really familiar already with the premise of the book and what is supposed to be happening and what all the symbolism is, what everything represents, uh, yeah, you, you you'll go in if you just kind of watch the movie, you might not get a lot of what's going on. Yeah, that I was think my these experience. days you can. I think these days because so much sci-fi since then has been inspired by movies like 2001 that. And there's so many really wild, far-out premises and, and, and storylines that go along with a lot of, of, of the genre today. I think most people could sit down and, and kind of understand it at this point. But back in then, it was, it was, it was a very different kind of film. And Stanley, Stanley Kubrick was a very different kind of uh, director anyway. I'm so, sure, if you, even if you did read the book, I'm sure that the, the visuals alone kind of sold it as a whole unique experience, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, the Visually, it was just stunning. And the effects for that time, and, and it's held up very well over the... Here's the interesting thing. Some of the effects are not as uh, intricate as some people 
thought they were. That it's groundbreaking because he used some of those techniques in different ways. But and so I wouldn't necessarily call it, uh, you know, that he invented new effects. Although he did, you know, make that huge, uh, you know, some huge sets and 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 everything to to um, to to go along with it. That was some of that was was pretty cool. Uh, but um, for the most part, a lot of the visual effects by themselves, if you know how the effects were done, it, he was basically pulling out of stops all the stops out of everything that he he knew about visual effects and his visual effects team did too, but they really utilized what they had available to them at the time and really made it work. And the way they blended it all in, it, it's held up very, very well for um, over the decades, as opposed to Star Wars, which, you know, a lot of people complain about how Lucas has changed a lot of things in um, the original Star Wars, which is yeah. now known as Episode Four, um, you're talking about the uh, the re-releases, the special. Yeah, the re the, exactly. Well, the thing is, though, I remember seeing it in the theater the first six times, and there's there's a lot of stuff that I really didn't notice at the time. That later on, when I got a VHS copy of it, or you know, and played it at home, I I noticed a lot of the the. Um, you know, a lot of the little anomalies, a lot of errors and things. Like with the, some like the, the stormtrooper hitting his head on the, uh, on the well, doorway. That, uh, yeah, well, yeah, well, not so much that. I'm I'm referring now to a lot of the blue screen effects uh, of the models and and things oh, like, like that. A lot of the gar and... garbage mat shots and things like that. Because for one thing, television in the movie theater, darker colors show up a little more boldly than they do on television. They show up different when you're right. transferring to TV, and um. And it's not as consistent on TV, so you can see where they did garbage mats, where the the black areas were not uh, as maybe uh, maybe they're darker than some other black areas on the screen. Uh, you know that, like that that and makes it, sense. And it shows up. It it shows up as glaring effects. Now that bothered Lucas, which is one reason why he went in because he realized at that point that you know people are going to wa be watching this on video. Um, I've got to clean this up. For video, and that was why he did the first pass on on cleaning up a lot of these these effects. You're looking at like the like high definition versions of the movie. You can like if you look at the older versions, Darth Vader's helmet is so smudged up mm -hmm. in almost every shot he's in, and it's really distracting. You don't you don't really see that as much on the big screen in in the theater um, because it's a different environment uh, and, and different. I don't want to say projection because you're being you're projecting it out there, but there are different lighting elements, I guess I, should, I would say, um, involved in projecting it on a big screen in a darkened movie theater, and you, you don't have that sort of thing when you're looking at it on a video screen or a TV screen, uh, you know, or on a computer yeah. screen. You, you don't really have that. So those those little glaring errors show up a lot more than they did ever on the movie screen. Right. So um, anyway, though, even so, uh, the original version of Star Wars would still hold up. But if people watch the original prints today, just verbatim, just flat out transferred with no other changes, they would see a lot of these these things. And it wouldn't the effects wouldn't hold up nearly as well. You don't 
you didn't get that in 2001. They were they they used some different technique, a few different techniques for doing some of those things. I'm not going to go into all that, but um, but they were very very careful and meticulous about it, and they really. Um, I think the film holds up very very well, uh, even even today. There are a lot of other sci-fi films that hold up very very well, uh, considering the time that they were made, like go back to the fifties. And that's one of my favorite things. I like to watch a lot of old, uh, sci-fi from the fifties. And there, there's some good sci-fi. There is some really bad yeah. sci-fi movies. Yeah, I was going to the say, 50s. there's, there's there, a reason there's Mystery ones. Science Theater exists. Yeah, I, I, and that's one reason why I like to watch uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000. And, and, uh, you know, the thing is that, uh, even the bad ones, I like to watch some of the bad ones because some of the bad ones are, are so bad they're good. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're hilarious. They're fun to watch. But even the ones that are sort of mediocre, I, I like the genre. I like that look from back in those days. And you go back all the way to the old movie serials, and I actually have a reel of a movie serial downstairs. I think it's, uh, I think I've got a Flash Gordon, a couple of Flash Gordons on sixteen. The original year. movie. One of the original prints from from the original serial, um, oh. the Flash Gordon serial that they'd run them in the back in the day in the movie theaters and you know before I was born even they would run um, you know going to the movies back then was was like a day long afternoon experience you know they'd show uh, they'd show a newsreel they'd show uh, cartoon shorts that's how a lot of the cartoons were born uh, Warner Brothers Disney uh, Woody Woodpeckers all those. Um, uh, Tom Jerry's that sort of thing. That's how they came to be. It was because they were filler. It was filler material before the main feature, and then you would have uh, a serial. You so would that, have, that was before they clogged it up with previews and yeah, trailers. Yeah, and, and then stuff. and they, they would have a um, they would have a weekly serial. So each week, when they change out the the uh, main attraction, the main feature film, they'd get a new episode of whatever the latest serial was, and it could be. Uh, Two of the ones that were most memorable. There were a number of them that that ran back in the day. Not all of them sci-fi. There were a lot of different, you know, some crime ones and mystery ones and things like that. But they'd uh, and some comedy ones. The Three Stooges. That was kind yeah. of that was a filler that would go in the Three Stooges shorts. Um, that's how the Three Stooges came to be. And uh, the one of the two of them though that in particular that I remember were uh, Flash Gordon and. Uh, um, Buck Rogers, Buck Rogers in in the 25th century, and those two serials were an ongoing thing. So each week it lasted like 20, 30 minutes, and uh, they would get themselves into some sort of predicament or whatever, and or have some kind of adventure, and then it end on a cliffhanger. It would end on a cliffhanger, and then you you would uh, have to come back the next week to see the next installment. So it was basically like watching a you know, a regular TV show, a, a series on TV, except you, you, you know, they really didn't have a lot of TVs around at the time. This was back in the, you know, thirties and forties. And instead of watching TV every week to see what was going to happen next on your favorite show, you'd go to the theater. So those theater seats, they got a lot of use like daily yeah, yeah. by I the mean, same people. It was a way to draw more people in the theater. Wow. Especially if you had a feature film that was probably not going to do that great. At least if you had the, you know, you had the cartoons and you had the the weekly serials and things like that to bring people into the theaters, that would still get them in. So, would you have, uh, 
you know, if they had the seats that they have in theaters now, would you even leave the theater? Like, it sounds like, well, you know, that's like a nonstop. The only the only reason they have those those theaters, you know, you're talking about stadium seating and all those. No, like, I'm talking about recliners. I'm yeah, talking about the ones we have cut, the, yeah, the next to our stuff. house. The only reason they have those now is because they're trying, it's one more gimmick to get people yeah. back in the theater. Yeah, and <laughs> charge them ten dollars for popcorn. Right, and it, it's it, it was it's another gimmick to get them back in. Um, they didn't need that back then. <laughs> they didn't need to do anything. Yeah, like I'm that saying, but if they had it, them, you know, people would was, leave the theaters. At yeah, all. but but back then that was the way that you 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 got your entertainment. You went to the movies or you listened to the radio. Um, but and they did a lot of that serialization on the radio too. They have the the serials, the old radio serials, but. Um, getting back to to some of those old shows, you know, people talk about steampunk, the steampunk look. Yeah, and a lot of that was into a lot of that. You know, a lot of that's related to sci-fi because you know a lot of the steampunk gadgets and things were uh, were incorporated in sci-fi shows. I remember watching um, Warehouse Thirteen? That was really. You know that was the whole steampunk look was was throughout yeah. Warehouse Thirteen, another classic sci-fi show on the Sci-Fi Channel. What's used to be called Sci-Fi now it's S Y F Y Sci-Fi. What was it? How they spelled before? Just S C I F I. It's so why'd they rename it? They got away from sci-fi, pretty much. They rebranded themselves a little bit, and yeah, I don't even want to go into that right now, but. That's another discussion. We we can we can do another episode here. We can just talk about the Sci-Fi Channel for a while. Because I'm curious to know why they didn't just uh, rename it instead of respell it. That seems I have my I have my beefs with the Sci-Fi Channel. Uh, trust me, well, so many of show the classic Sci-Fi what are now considered classic Sci-Fi, but so many great science fiction shows uh, that that were introduced yeah. by the sci-fi network and then abruptly canceled. That's another example of how they just abruptly cut off shows well, in the middle. I think the latest one was uh, Dark Matter. Your mom and I were watching Dark Matter. They got to the end of season three on a huge cliffhanger and then just ended the show. That's a, another discussion altogether now. But I, I quit watching anything related to sci-fi just because so many times they would just, you know, they, they would – introduce these shows and you get hooked on them and then they would just abruptly dump them and it just showed how little respect they had for their own viewers or a little how, how much disregard they had for their own viewers so uh anyway the the um you know warehouse 13 um was big on the steampunk look and uh, a lot of those old early serials were like that and i kind of like that steampunk kind of look to it, and that kind of carried over a little bit into some of the sci-fi movies uh, that that were, you know, the fifties, schlocky films they'll call them sometimes. Uh, I don't consider it all schlock. I, I thought some of them were actually pretty good. It's just that those things were were done on really tight budgets at the time. Sci-fi was not a really big draw. Sci-fi didn't really the sci-fi genre didn't really become a a, a huge money-making thing for for filmmakers until and, and it was always a genre that existed yeah. but it and even way way back to you know um to the silent days they there were there were uh sci-fi films and metropolis being one and there, there were others but it didn't become mainstream but it it was not well it was not a big big mainstream money maker until you had films like 
uh, Star Wars that came out. Yeah, that became that's when every sci-fi just really burst on the on the mainstream big time. But there were other sci-fi films back then, a lot of others that, and and some of them did really well. Um, some of the ones in the fifties uh, are, are are just fun to watch, and some of them are black and white, some are in color. George Powell, who um, was known for a lot of his his uh, stop motion animation stop-motion animation animator, he um, he made a few sci-fi films, feature films. One of the most famous, I guess, in that uh, regard would be War of the Worlds, when he did the War of the Worlds movie. And I love that film. Now, that is one I had edited for television. And every time we'd, we'd run it, I... I made a point of being the one to edit it because I, I I wanted to do it right. I didn't want to just jump to commercials or cut here, cut there, take out a few minutes here or there for time. You know, I, I wanted to to do it right because I love that film. And you wanted and, to avoid causing mass hysteria. Yeah, well, it's it, I I really I, I wanted to be enjoyed as yeah. as as much as uh, as as it could be on television as the director intended. And uh, George Powell did this, and it was. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a great film, it, and, the, and the effects hold up pretty well for, for, I mean, yeah, you can see, sometimes you're looking closely, you can see the strings on the, on the uh, you know, Martian ships and, and, and stuff, but uh, for the most part, it holds up really well. The creature effects are pretty good, and, um, but the story, the story is solid, and of course, it's based on H.G. Wells' book, War, War of the Worlds, um, and another one he did was uh, Destination Moon. And the effects in that were just awesome. Uh, it, it, it's, it's a good film. It's a solid film, but the the effects are just awesome. Did you cut that one for TV as well? No, that one I didn't. But I made a point to to um, uh, pick it up, and watch it on. Uh, I think when it was, um, I tried to collect a few of these, and and I that was one I couldn't find on VHS. But later on, when uh, Netflix or is it Netflix or or what is it? Amazon came along. One of the two. I was able to 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 um, pick you know pick it up and watch it. Then uh, again, yeah, it, it a classic. That's it, another one that I recommend that you watch. It's really another one that I have recommended to you many many times before that we have to sit down and watch together sometime. Is Forbidden Planet. That was a huge MGM. You know, back in those days, MGM was known for making these big productions. You know, on, on super wide screen and you know Cinemascope and yeah. all this kind of stuff. You know, so MGM, of course, MGM did the Tom and Jerry cartoons, things like that. But they they were known for making these big, big Hollywood productions. Right. Well, they wanted to tackle science science fiction, so they picked one. They picked Forbidden Planet, and they pulled out all the stops for that. They really did. They really uh, they did it in Cinemascope, and they they had all these effects. And and I think they worked with Disney. I think Disney worked with them. Um, for some of the effects and uh, for the, some of the animation and the effects. And it's a really great premise. And this was the one that introduced Robbie the Robot. Robbie the Robot uh, was known. And this is... Uh, Robbie the Robot has showed up in a number of sci-fi films since then. He's gotten a lot of use. They, they pull him out of the out of the prop closet every time they, you know, <laughs> on many, many shows since and decades since then, they'd find him in the prop closet again and say, hey, let's use Robbie the robot. Does he look like um, the, uh, the robot from Lost in pretty Space? Pretty much. They, they changed. No, no, it was different. It, 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 it was different from the robot in Lost in Space. In Forbidden Planet, Robbie the robot, who worked with, uh, it was Walter Pigeon, I think, and uh, Leslie Nielsen played the good guy. Now, 
people know Leslie Nielsen. He's, you know, he's a guy from the Naked Gun series, and he was known for being a serious actor all the way up until the time that he did the movie Airplane. When he did the movie Airplane, it was a brilliant move um, on the part of uh, the producers there to cast him in that role because up to that time, he was known for being a very serious actor. He'd played villains and he'd played, um, you know, I think he did some westerns. He did all kinds of stuff, but he was always a very, very serious actor. And then when did when he was cast in Airplane, it just it completely turned his... Um, it, it turned his reputation as being a serious actor completely upside down because <laughs> yeah. he did such a great job in it. And it really, I think it actually breathed new life into his career. And he went on and he wanted to do comedy. So oh, after he was just that, typecast. He'd, he'd, uh, he'd been kind of typecast in it. But uh, when he got the opportunity to do Airplane, it became such a big hit. And then he became sort of a, you know, household name there. Um, it, 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 he he took off with it. He said, "Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do more comedy." So it started doing the the uh, Police Squad show, and which was short lived, and then the Naked Gun movies based on Police Squad, and and that that sort of thing. And and uh, by the time he had passed away, people knew him. People had long forgotten him as a serious actor. They knew him for <laughs> his his uh, his comedy work, and and he was good at both. I mean, he was an he was a great actor uh, all the way around. But um, he he was in this movie, Forbidden Planet. He he played the uh, the leading man there, and uh, it's a classic film. Uh, if you ever get a chance, watch Forbidden Planet. I highly recommend it. But um, wow, Forbidden Planet and uh, This Island Earth, and you and I saw. I introduced you uh, some time back to The Day the Earth Stood Still. Classic, classic film. Everybody should watch The Day the Earth Stood Still. And the remake, I was not impressed with the remake. I think that was the one with Keanu Reeves in it. Um, and uh, nothing against Keanu Reeves. He's a great actor in his own right. But um, go with the original. <laughs> so the original is better. Yeah, usually it's a good idea to watch the original before the remake because sometimes the remake has nods to the original that people viewing for the first time won't get. That's true. That's true. Look um, what happened with uh, Lost in Space when they made the movie. Yeah. Uh, the movie they, was They not, did the reboot of Lost in Space. I didn't enjoy the movie. Yeah, I, I, I was not crazy about the movie, but they did have some of the original uh, actors still living uh, that showed yeah. up and doing cameos in the, the film, too, from, from the original show. And um, that was nice to see. But I, I think in another sense, I, I love seeing cameos when they're doing reboots sometimes. But if it's a good one, if it's a good remake or a really good reboot, or if maybe they're just trying to continue the story or wrap it up, um, what I don't care for is when the, you've got cameos from the original show or the original movie where they're doing a complete reboot and uh, they completely change everything because then that, that sort of messes up the canon. Um, I mean, it really does mess up the canon even more. Plus, there are some people that, that don't like um, seeing, you know, the original actors doing cameos because it does, for the reasons I just mentioned, that it just sort of seems to legitimize the reboot yeah. when they didn't like the reboot. Yeah, like if they rebooted Back to the Future and then cast Christopher Lloyd as like some random character that had nothing to do with the original story, yeah. I would be a little upset. Yeah. I'd be well, really upset, actually. Yeah, same. Long. And you mentioned uh, Back to the Future. I mean, that's another sci-fi trilogy there. Classic Spielberg. And um, 
that whole trilogy was a lot of fun. There's so much sci-fi yeah, out there a that uh, we could talk about. Well, I guess we'll yeah. have to continue. Yeah, unfortunately, we can't episode. fit it in this episode. Um, <laughs> yeah, I did want to mention as a closer that uh, you know you mentioned stuff like Star Wars, uh, kind of showing the uh, a budding interest in with new um, new filmmakers. You know, it kind of sparked that fire. Mm-hmm. That happened uh, to you before Star Wars. You know, you're making your own films and stuff beforehand. Before that. And uh, you did actually make your own uh, parody sci-fi film. Yes, it sense. did. Yeah. Yes, it did. I do with... Um, I don't know if you consider it sci-fi. It's more well, so... Well, it, it's, it's sci-fi. It's about sci-fi. It's, it's bad sci-fi, but it was a send-up of, of bad sci-fi films. Yeah. Uh, you know, as we were talking about a lot of the sci-fi films from the uh, 60s. And um, one of the, the reoccurring themes you'd see in some of those films were... Uh, and there were a number of elements, thematic elements in there. You know, you'd, you'd have these creatures that would show up, and you'd say, "Well, okay, what's the creature's motivation for landing on Earth and attacking people? What's what's the motivation of the creature for doing this? And and uh, what? How are these people reacting? And why are they just automatically react that it's an invader? And which maybe if they just ignored it, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. Uh, and some of the other cliches, a lot of different cliches where they're attacking people and it's just some obvious stuff. I, I made this film called Attack of the Bubble Creatures and it was kind of a send-up of silent films. I want to do it silent. I, we had sound film, but I want to do on a, a regular 8mm silent film. Uh, and um, I, could, I would have done it black and white if I had black and white film, but uh, we had color. So... I did that, and it was about a bunch of it was. It's about these bubble creatures that come down and attack Earth um, for their soap, <laughs> <laughs> and um, and and it's intended to be funny. It, it's and, and I did it with subtitles because I was trying to keep it sort of like the old serials that I mentioned right. before, and um, and then of course the ending of the thing is you know they're all looking up the sky and saying, oh, "Think they'll be back someday? I don't know, but we'll be ready for you know." They do that at the end of just about every one of those fifties shows. Yeah. You know, they have some sort of moral to it, or they they say, "Oh, what if this creature comes back?" And to make it open for a sequel. Yeah, exactly. You know, well, it's it's just it's a way to end. It, you know. <laughs> yeah. But um, strike fear into the hearts of viewers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, actually, you, you did. You do have a number of films that you've uh, made and shown off on your uh, on your wine stream, mm-hmm. which. Uh, there's actually more I wanted to mention, but we we're kind of running out of time for it. But you can watch it on his uh, archives on his YouTube channel or his Twitch channel, uh, Drink With Rick. Uh, why don't you tell us where you can find your podcast? Uh, Drink With Rick podcast comes out Saturday nights. It's uh, it's Drink With Rick on the Saturday night wine stream. And uh, I open a bottle of wine, taste it, review it, pair it with foods. And we just talk about stuff. We just kick back and, and we all just talk about stuff. And it's a... Stream of consciousness kind of show, and it's it's not really, uh, you know, there's no tight script for, on any of this, and uh, I just chat with everybody, and we have a great time. We're doing something special, though. We're doing a special edition of Drink with Rick on Tuesday night, because Tuesday night is your birthday. Yeah. The 29th. September 29th, your birthday. You're going to be 21 yeah, I'm gonna years be 21 old. 21 years old. 21 years old, so we're doing a special and on the special, I'm going to open up three bottles of wine, a red, a white, and a rosé. And you're going to taste each one of those. Yeah. Because you'll be of legal drinking age, and you're going to taste one of I'm going to dunk every single one of those. <laughs> For the first time. Half and, a second. Uh, well, well, we'll see your reaction. See if you even like wine. Uh, we're going to 
check your reaction. So please show up for that if you're yeah. if you're uh, actually now that I think about it, I think this podcast is probably coming out after the wine stream, but is you it can, okay? Yeah, but you can definitely check the archives and the podcast archives and the stream archives for it too. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It'll be up there. Yeah. On uh, Drink with Rick on YouTube and at drinkwithrick.com. Uh, as well as Twitch. We're on Twitch. Drink with Rick one, the number one. And um and your podcast app too. Yeah, you know, yeah the podcast podcasts, app. Google Podcasts. We're on all those the different platforms. Um we're about to get onto Amazon music. You can hear it on the Echo, the Amazon Echo. Yeah. Lots of great places. Um yeah, go ahead and check out uh Dad's stream. You're you're gonna have a great time watching him. Um, you can also uh, find the other episodes of the Cube Command podcast on any podcast app, as we just mentioned. And uh, you can also follow us on YouTube and Twitch to watch us play games. We're actually uh, changing up the format of the YouTube channel a little bit. And the Cube Command podcast is a proud member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. To listen to the Cube Command podcast, just go to techpodcast.com. And also, the Cube Command podcast is produced by Savoy Studios and is a part of the Savoy Media Network. To find all the shows produced by Savoy Studios, just go to SavoyaMedia.com. All right, it looks like we've run out of time for this episode, but still had a blast recording with you. I want to thank you very much, Dad, for joining me on this podcast. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Well, without further ado, my name is Tommy Savoy. This has been the Cube Command Podcast. I want to thank you all for listening, and we will catch you next time. Nick, have you ever heard of Blueberry? Blueberry? What's that? Well, it's only one of the most respected media hosting sites out there with a customizable audio player, media validation, and unlimited downloads. Wow, does it have free technical support? Yes. Is it optimized to work with WordPress for easy blog posts? Yes. Does it require third-party sites to access? No. Is it spelled with a B and an L and a U and a B-R-R-Y? Yes. With affordable hosting packages and detailed statistics, Blueberry must be the best podcast hosting service for me. Yeah, well, wait a second. How'd you know that? I, I didn't say that. I don't know. What are, you, what are you talking about? Use our promo code CUBECOMMAND to get your first month of hosting free.